0: What is
1: Pope Francis, and I believe he was quoting another saint, said that the church is a field hospital. In other words, we come to church, or should come, and be a part of church, not just go to church, but be a part of the whole life of church, a life of faith. Because we're all, in a sense, a little sick, sick from original sin. That's how the Byzantine spirituality describes sin, a sickness of the soul. And of course, it all comes from original sin. So we're all a little bit sick. We all need healing. That's what the sacraments are about. That's what the life of the church is about, the scripture. That's what everything Jesus did was about, to help us heal, heal into a healthy person, a person that is the best version of ourselves. In other words, a person that is healed whole and therefore holy. And the church certainly plays a part of that, we all have our journey, we all have our journey of healing, because we're all wounded in varying degrees, and if we don't really realize it. Our guest today is an individual who is sharing his path of healing. His name is Carson Daniel Lawfer, and he's written a book called The Healing of a Soul, From Poverty and Anger to Peace and Contentment. So welcome, Carson Daniel Lawfer, to Light of the East. Glory to Jesus Christ.
0: Glory to him. Thank you, Father, for welcoming me to your broadcast.
1: Well, thanks for being part of it. And, Carson, first of all, you belong to one of our Byzantine churches, correct? Correct. And that's which one?
0: St. Stephen's uh, Byzantine Catholic Church in Allen Park, Michigan. I was originally converted in your congregation, but (laughs) moved in retirement.
1: And who is your pastor?
0: Pastor J.R.P. Russell, John R.P. Russell.
1: So, a little shout out to him in the parish. <laughs> right, right. Okay, Carson. So, first of all, uh, why the book? Why did you write it? At this in at this point in your life,
0: there, there, uh, the the main reason is that it was a uh, it was a, a burden the Lord would placed upon me years ago to write about conscience. Hmm. Never got it written. Forty six years later. The Lord prompted me through the uh, pandemic, I think, uh, to sit down and write it, and I, I wrote it
1: about conscience. Yes. So you felt called to do that at some point?
0: Yes, yes, I did. It was a part of. It was supposed to be my PhD dissertation um, years ago, and and I ran across uh, some obstacles. Uh, for example, the main one was that uh, somebody had already done it. Oh. <laughs> Actually, the way I had planned on doing it, and so I tried for a long time afterwards to uh, figure out a different way to write it, and finally I got busy in the church. I was a pastor and kind of drifted away. But I felt, I felt, uh, well, I frankly felt guilty about not having completed it.
1: Well, 46 years, you know, that gives me encouragement, Carson, because to be honest with you, a little self revelation for our listeners, I've been working on a book myself for a number of years, (laughs) still working on it. I always tell, I have an editor now, it's uh, laboring over my book, working with me very closely. She's doing a wonderful job. And I always tell her, we got to get this done before I die. It's on my so called bucket list. I got to get this book done before I die. So it hasn't been 46 years, but it's It's been a number of years. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, Carson, tell us a little bit about your background, and which, of course, is part of what motivated this book, correct?
0: Yes, yes. I was raised in a non-Christian home, and uh, for all uh, anyone who could see how my parents uh, interacted and how my father in particular acted towards the children, uh, you, you'd guess that they hated each other. Why they had six children, I'll never know. I, that's <laughs> still a mystery. But uh, I was the oldest of six, and I, uh, had, even at age five, my earliest recognition that there was another presence beyond the uh, physical uh, presence of my parents or anybody else, for that matter, came when I uh, was uh, my mother was crying out for help, and I thought she thought she was dying, and so did I. As a five-year-old, I didn't know. We had a we had an old-fashioned phone. A crank phone on the wall, and uh, I never used the phone, but it was at a party line. And I uh, got up on top of the sewing machine after she asked for help to try and get hold of my father through the lady on the other end of the line. So I cranked the phone and I talked to the lady, and she said she'd help me. After uh, after a search of many places that he might be, my father might be, uh, we finally reached him and he got home, and but I, I sensed. That there was somebody helping me hmm. didn't i didn't know I, I i didn't even have the words for god hmm. because my parents didn't go to church uh and uh, only time they used uh the name of god was to curse each other hmm. and uh, so when that was just the first thing and but on reflection i can see a pattern throughout various stages of my life that uh uh, fit the psychological uh, patterns of, of uh, growth, but also parallel the I, what I perceive to be theosis or or um, uh, becoming divine or becoming adopted into God um, throughout my life, or sanctification is what's called in the, some churches.
2: Yes,
1: in the Eastern churches, for the benefit of our listeners, you mentioned theosis or basically divinization. That's very strong. Part of Eastern spirituality, the ongoing growth, the continuing sort of metamorphosis, the transfiguring of ourselves into our truest selves—in other words, our our cells that we be, would be considered to be holy or truly human—and and growth. In that is an ongoing, constant thing. we sort of metamorphosize. We're like Christ on the Mount Tabor as He transfigured. In fact, that's even called the metamorphosis in Greek. The icon of the transfiguration is referred to as a metamorphosis, the constant changing of ourselves into the image and likeness of God. And it's interesting, and you you sense something at age five. You know, Carson is a is a priest, and all my years, I, I when I've heard people's stories and testimonies, just like you're offering to us today. I, I've often heard that something happened. I'm amazed at how many stories I've heard where something happened to people at age five, around that time. Isn't that interesting? Yes, yes it is and they they it was something profound they may not have been able to identify per se at the time but it was profound and it, and it was life changing it was it would set them on a certain direction and so you've had that as well so there was a lot of uh, well not much faith in your home then correct
0: no no there wasn't <laughs> uh, <laughs> when i was uh, when i was 6 i had a, another experience where my uh, father was actually beating my mother on the floor, she was eight months pregnant oh. with uh, my brother, and I I wanted to help, but I couldn't. There was a there was a sense that said, you I had, a, I had a feeling that I was maybe on reflection afterwards, I don't know that I was going to be able to help people, but I couldn't just yet. I had to wait. I was only six. Mm. Do anything.
1: And in some of the information you gave me, uh, you said that the from the age of fifteen, you sensed a call of God yes. to be a pastor.
0: I was at a, uh, a holiness camp meeting, holiness Protestant camp meeting. Uh, maybe some of your listeners will know what I'm talking about, maybe not. But it, it was a, a sort of, it wasn't a Pentecostal. We didn't, they didn't speak in tongues, they didn't believe in it. But, but it was a holiness camp meeting, and people, uh, I was at a youth camp, and they said that the, first, the first day of camp, they said, on, on Thursday we're going to give all you preacher boys, a chance to preach your first sermon. And I thought, hmm, maybe God is calling me to do that. So I, I went to my bunk, and I, I I knew how to do a sword drill because I'd i gone to a church a few times of my grandparents' church, and the teenagers had this game where you closed your eyes, held the Bible above your head, put it down, and put your finger down, and whatever verse there was while you read it, Or they would say, okay, put it down and find the passage. Well, what I did is put it down on the bunk, put my finger down on Matthew 6, 33 and 34. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and Hmm. all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for each day has trouble of its own. And I preached my first sermon. I felt that that was the uh, confirmation of my calling, that indeed I was to be a pastor.
2: Hmm.
1: But also, you mentioned to me that about a guidance counselor had a different kind of take on you. <laughs>
0: oh, yes. <laughs> when I was a junior in high school, the guidance counselor called me into his office, and he said, uh, after a bit of conversation, he said, I, I don't want to hit you too hard with this, but uh, there's not a there's not a chance you'll ever be a pastor, given your background of violence in the home and, and poverty. And... Uh, <laughs> I was a United Methodist pastor for 27 years, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then uh, you then you came to the Byzantine Church about that time or soon after.
0: Well, oh, many, many, many years later. Oh, many. So after, after, yeah, that's right. After the 27 years, um, it, it just seemed like God was calling me to a further, uh, deeper walk in in the path of holiness, and. Uh, when my wife and I talked with each other, we said we need to go to the church that Christ established the church on the on the apostles, and it isn't the it isn't the church we're in. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so we started to search. We went to an Orthodox church, and we loved the, oh we loved the liturgy. But uh, in talking talking with the priest afterwards, uh, he, he assured me, "Oh, you'd be ordained in two years. No, no problem at no. all." I said, well, I have one question before uh, we make our decision. Uh, What is the possibility that there might be some kind of reunion or cooperation between Rome and and the other patriarchates? He said, there's not a chance in the world. Orthodox priests don't give it a thought. We don't care about the Rome at all. And I said, okay, and we never came back, never went back. (laughs) Not, Not that I'm enamored, not that I think... Rome is God. I don't, don't mistake that. But if, if you're not trying to unite, if you're not moving towards unity, how, how can you say you're following Christ? <laughs> Very
1: good. Yes, Carson. I Yes, I agree with you. And that's part of the whole charism message of this program, Lay of the East. It's unity between East and West. We present the gifts of both East and West, but primarily, of course, the Eastern churches. But our whole mission here is unity in the church. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk more with our special guest, Carson Lauffer. And his book is called The Healing of a Soul, From Poverty and Anger to Peace and Contentment. And the publisher is South Health in Walled Lake, Michigan, correct? Yes. And you can get it at Amazon.
0: Oh, well, Soul Health.
1: Oh, Soul Health. It's Soul Health, Wald Lake, Michigan. It's available on Amazon. Again, the author is Carson Daniel Lawfer, The Healing of a Soul from Poverty and Anger to Peace and Contentment. We're going to talk more about this book and about his journey into the Byzantine Catholic Church as well. I'm Father Thomas Loia on Light of the East. Light of the East
2: mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com That's ByzantineCatholic.com and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. We'd like to congratulate two great members of the EWTN radio family celebrating anniversaries this week. It's the sixth anniversary for Divine Mercy Radio, Catholic 540 in North Carolina. Also celebrating six years on the air, Ablaze Radio in Duluth, Georgia. Our congratulations to Keith and Cecilia Flannery at Divine Mercy Radio and Ken and Patricia Shivers at Ablaze Radio. From all of us at EWTN Radio. This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco and you are listening to Light of the East.
1: Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas or your host and our special guest today is Carson Daniel Lawfer. The author of the book. The Healing of a Soul, From Poverty and Anger to Peace and Contentment. You can get this book on Amazon. I'm proud to say that I know the author. He came into the Byzantine Catholic Church through my particular parish. In fact, that was very early on. We were very new at the, at the time, Annunciation Parish. had just kind of opened. I don't know. I think, Carson, we were maybe about a year or two old when you joined us, I think, because we had— I
0: Well, you had just had the bishop there, and uh, uh, I, I came in September— mm, 1999 was our first liturgy.
1: Oh, you were at the beginning. Yes, yes.
0: (laughs) And the uh, iconostas wasn't even up yet.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think I had one icon painted there, one or two icon murals painted there. (laughs) That's Um, right,
0: the the Theotokos.
1: But I remember, in fact, I have a picture of you. I remember you standing there looking up at the Pantecrotter, and your eyes were just aglow. You know, it was amazing. I thought, wow who is this person that's so enamored and touched by this? And we're, we've hardly begun. We just got into the new church, got a lot more icons to do. And somehow, I know the Ponte has kind of captivated you in the, in the liturgy.
0: I walked into the church by myself. I, I did, Chris was waiting for me in the car. I walked into the church. I smelled the brief scent of incense. And I looked around. There were only two icons. There were splatters all over the floor of the of the, uh, of the the <laughs> paint that you had been writing the icons with, and uh, I, I looked up, I saw the Theotokos, and I looked forward and saw the, I mean the Panther Crater, and then I looked forward and saw the Theotokos, and I said, I'm home.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It, was, it was just 11, I say 11 seconds, I don't know exactly how long, but yeah. it, it was just from the time I walked in, into the sanctuary, into the temple, and I looked around, smelled the smell, I said, I'm home.
1: Well, I'm so glad you said that. And this will always be your home, Carson, no matter where you live. You know that. <laughs> Once a prisoner of Annunciation, I always say, always a prisoner. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, we were sad to see you have to move out of town, but you do come in from time to time. You stay in touch with us, so you're you're every bit a prisoner as far as we're concerned. And I'm glad that you are with Father Russell in the parish you're in now, because that's a fine place, fine priest, But you're always going to be welcome here. So I want to ask you a little more about the book itself. Now, in the description, it says the healing of a soul outlines how through God's leading, the kindness of godly adults, and my own perseverance, I was led to be a successful pastor and college professor by carefully following the guidance of his own soul. There was a plan for everyone. This study outlines how it might be followed. So what was your journey and what is the healing of your soul?
0: When I was young, I I was expected to do a lot of things. I had to watch my younger brothers and sisters because my parents both were gone, not together, though. My mother was an alcoholic. Mm. And my father liked to go fishing and didn't want to be bothered with the kids on the weekend. So I was the primary caregiver most weekends. Once in a while, I get a chance to hitchhike to to, uh, uh, Adrian, Michigan. Where I went to a holiness church, a holiness Protestant church, my grandparents went, but most of the time i I was put i was well, there was more responsibility than any child should ever have to have mm-hmm. or but at the same time, it probably made me a more uh, responsible person in the long run. I, I don't know, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to have the uh, the violence and the cursing and and all that stuff uh, on anyone. But I, despite that, I sensed the presence of another being, Hmm. of of a a true being, a completed being,
2: Hmm.
0: more than somebody wiser uh, than I. And I, every once in a while, bumped into somebody who really was helpful. For example, an older man, 76 years old, and I'm I'm just about that age myself.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Treated me as actually a human being. Mm. Most te- most teenagers aren't treated that way. And I had certainly never been treated as an actual actual living human being. He would show me scriptures. We would talk. We'd laugh. He'd tell me stories. Uh, we would go. He had another another friend, and I would go to uh, different church meetings when we got a chance. Didn't happen very often, but occasionally, often enough so that. He really took me under his wing, and in fact, after he died, I was off to college for just about a year, and I couldn't get back home for his funeral. But after he died, I found myself talking to him—the communion of the saints—not in a—not in a weird way,
2: mm-hmm.
0: not as though I—he was standing there and uh, doing strange things, but but in a in a sense of I sensed his presence. Mm -hmm. He was praying for me. And so I uh, would often think of him as I was praying. Um, So I call him St. Comfort in my, uh, kind of an ironic name, but that was his real name. (laughs) I call him St. Comfort in my book. And uh, then um, I went off to college. I knew I I wanted to go to a, a religious college. I knew I wasn't. I was. In, we were in a rural school, so I knew I wasn't ready for a big university, and probably I was spared. <laughs> God, God was leading me not to go to a big university, for that matter, at that point, because I wasn't ready for it. But I went to a Christian college, the Church of the Nazarene, and uh, there I met uh, the woman I called Saint Christine. Mm-hmm. She is uh, my wife, and we met. Because I had a sense of, um, well, we went to the Art Institute of Chicago. And I uh, I had one suit to my name. I'd, I'd save $40 to go to college. That's all I could muster because I had to pay my parents uh room and board this summer before I went to college. And they didn't have any money to give me for college, so it was $40. And a promise of a job, of a job interview anyway. And uh, so I went there in a cardboard with a cardboard box and a cardboard suitcase with all the possessions I had. And I, uh, uh, during my end of my freshman year, near the end of my freshman year in college, I was in a fine arts course, and they took us to the Art Institute of Chicago. So I figured, you go to a big town, you go to a city I knew nothing about, almost nothing about. And you go to the art institute, and what should you wear? Wear the best you have. Same kind of clothes you wear at church. Right?
2: Mm-hmm. That's right.
0: <laughs> Put on my Robert Hall suit, thirty-nine dollars. <laughs> Robert Hall. Good. Got that? That's an old name.
1: Yeah, I remember that.
0: <laughs> my thirty nine dollar Robert Hall suit. And I got on the bus to look around and see if how other people were dressed and see if I knew anybody. And uh, not one person except This one lovely young lady were dressed as anybody but uh, what I say in my book, an ungrateful slob. (laughs) They wore jeans and sloppy clothes. Okay, that's fine if you're working out in the garden or something like that, but not when you go to the city, not when you go to the Art Institute. Mm -hmm. So, But this woman, this young lady, had on a uh, lovely dress. And I said I've got to meet her, and apparently she was attracted to me too. <laughs> we found ourselves wandering off uh, uh, from the group during the during the uh, tour, and, uh, and next thing you know, uh, I was pro- proposing marriage <laughs> to her. Well, a few months later, but anyway, Christine has been a wonderful comfort to me, and I've had I made I made some things that I felt badly about it. Didn't do anything overtly evil, but I, my failure at writing that dissertation was just just about crushed me. But Chris was always there to help me and get over that. And she showed me a. a can I give you one little account? Yeah. It was I was starting to feel sorry for myself. Well, and I I said, you know. I should have I should have been able to do this. I should have been able to figure this out. And so she showed me a book, a, a book about um, uh, vocations in the country and, and judging the various levels of educational endeavor needed for them. And she said, and she said, look at this one, look at this one. And she found clergy, She's, and they had a five-point scale, and they had they, they judged the the education and intelligence required for each for each job. And a clergy one is five uh, five points on every category of, in, of mm. intelligence needed.
1: Well, terrific. Her
0: well, word comforted me.
1: Yes. Boy, Carson, you've had a lot of God's providence. God was always with you in your life as a child. It's, yes. a, it's amazing. And I would have never known, as long as I've known you, I would have never never known. I actually did not know you had that, that kind of background. So. Your book should be a a real help to people. I want to thank you for being with us here. And, Carson, your book will be a gift to many, and you have always been a gift to me as a pastor and to our parish of Annunciation, to our Byzantine church here in America. Thanks again for being with us. We hope to talk to you again soon. Again, it's called The Healing of a Soul, From Poverty and Anger to Peace and Contentment by Carson Daniel Lawfer. Get it on Amazon. Thank you, Carson, and thank all of you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Oh.